if you're new to church, you're like, why would, why would we gather like this? You know, why, what's the fascination? What's the interest? Uh, what draws people together in communities uh, like ours, uh, not only in St. Louis, but really all over the world? What is it for Christians? Well, it is about this day. Um, Easter is uh, my favorite Sunday. If you're a Christian, it's probably your f- favorite Sunday. And if, if you're not a Christian, this may be fascinating to you. What, what, what Christians gather around or what Christianity hinges around is what we celebrate, uh, the historical event that we celebrate 2,000 years ago. There are a lot of belief systems that embrace a, a prophet or a book or a teaching or a philosophy or a way of thinking, and, and that's what it all hinges on. But Christianity uh, doesn't hinge on a book. It doesn't hinge on a philosophy. It doesn't uh, hinge on a ritual or a te- it hinges on the resurrection. And one of the New Testament writers, Paul, uh, he said, man, without the resurrection, uh, Christianity is a joke. It's, it's a dumb idea. And church and coming to church like this is kind of a lame hobby. If there wasn't a resurrection. And so most Sundays, most Easter Sundays like this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll focus on the primary narrative of Easter, which is the resurrection. But today I want to do something uh, a little bit different. And I want to give you the backstory. I want to give you one of the backstories of Easter. Every story, has, every narrative has a, has a primary narrative and it has a backstory. The primary narrative of, of Easter is 2,000 years ago, the sun came up, but when the disciples went to go check out the tomb, it was empty. They were confused. They were afraid. But then uh, Jesus appeared to them and then he appeared to uh, 500 other witnesses. 500 people saw the walking, talking nailed, scarred body of Jesus. That's the primary narrative of Easter. Uh, one of the backstories of Easter, though, comes through a man, or actually two men, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, and because of these men, generations of Christians, and, and more importantly, and I guess more significantly, I should say, uh, the first century Christians have assurance that Jesus really did die and he really did rise from the dead. If, he had, if these guys hadn't taken the necessary precautions and, and, um, and took the body and, and made sure it had a proper barrier, burial, Jesus' body would have been treated like any other body that was crucified. When, when a body was crucified, uh, the, the family members of the one being crucified, they weren't allowed to take the body down. They weren't allowed to give a burial. In fact, the Romans would leave the dead body on the cross for a long period of time to make a statement that you don't mess with Rome. The body would stay up there. It would decay. Birds would come and eat it. And then after a while, uh, the soldiers would come and peel what was left of the body, throw it in a wagon, and then take it and dump it into this big valley called the Valley of Gehenna. And New Testament writers, um, when describing Gehenna, it was really another word for, it could be also translated as a word for hell. That when you thought of this valley, you thought of hell. The way it smelled, uh, rats everywhere. To, to be in Gehenna was not a place you wanted to be. And uh, just as hell is not a place that you want to be. It was an awful, awful place. And this is where Jesus would have been destined to go had it hadn't not been for these men. And because of these men, um, the first century Christians had all uh, the proof that they needed. Uh, this was a part of the proof that they needed that Jesus really did die and he really did raise from the dead. And um, now, what's inter- interesting here is even though they kind of are like minor heroes of this story, 
they were really reluctant followers. And the story of Nicodemus starts very early on in the Gospels. There's four Gospels, and they're just really the story of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in John uh, chapter 3 is where we're going to pick up the story of Nicodemus. And I just want to tell a little bit about Nicodemus and Arimathea, kind of follow their life, because I think you might be able to see maybe a little bit of yourself in Nicodemus. I don't know about you, but when you, when you think about a story, it's like, where do you fit in the story? Well, not Jesus. Um, and then you go through the list. Well, maybe, maybe it's this guy. Maybe it's this guy. And uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they were part of a religious group called the Pharisees that we'll see. Uh, and, the, and the Pharisees were the best of the best. They, they, were, they were really good. They were really good at being good. So if you, what's your full-time job of a Pharisee? Well, my full-time job is to be good. That's what I do. I'm, I'm a good person. And Jesus comes along. He basically shatters the whole framework because they thought they were at the front of the line when it comes to heaven. And Jesus comes along and says, no, they're in the back of the line. And this frustrated them. And people began to like Jesus more than they liked these guys. Instead of following the Pharisees and their rules, they began to follow Jesus. And they hated him for it. But there was this tiny little group within the Pharisees, these rulers, that Nicodemus and Joseph were a part of. And they began to ask questions. They began to say, you know what? There, we... We think there's something to this Jesus. We, we think there might be something there. And so they got together and they said, you know, we've got to ask him some questions. In fact, we've got to ask him one question in particular. So I don't know if they drew straws or did rock, paper, scissors or whatever. But Nicodemus was the one chosen to go. And Nicodemus goes privately because he was afraid. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story. I'll have this on the screen. I'm reading out of the what's called the ESV translation. If you've got a phone, you know, just hit the ESV or... Uh, if my translation is different than your Bible, that's why. But again, we'll have it up here for you. Uh, so John 3, I want to re- just walk through some verses here. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. He was afraid. So they're like, hey, Nicodemus, go ask some questions. But if you get caught, we don't know you. Uh, you're on your own. And he said to him, Rabbi, now this is a key word, we. So this isn't Nicodemus on his own. He's, he's representing the small band of people. He says that we know that you are a teacher from God. And the reason why they know that is because of the next line. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And then Nicodemus, I think he kind of takes a deep breath and he's getting ready to ask him the question that he came there to ask him. But before he can ask the question... Before he could get any words out of his mouth, Jesus did what Jesus typically did, which is he answered the question before he even asked the question. Jesus answered him. I didn't ask the question. I know. Let me give you the answer anyway. <laughs> truly, truly, that just means, you know, this is for real, for real. He says, um, truly, truly, uh, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, well, how can this be? How can this be? How can this happen? Nicodemus um, can't, oh, then he asked this question kind of jokingly. He says, uh, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? Which is, you know, I can't really think about that really long. It's kind of gross. But they, 
Nicodemus' point is like, hey, look, Jesus, I have a very serious question, and it's nighttime, and I'm very afraid, and I don't want to get caught, and I'm supposed to kind of find some information about, you know, how, we be, you, know, how you become a Christian, because we're kind of not sure. We, we've kind of always assumed this, but you say some different things, and, you know, we just want to know what's going on here. And so I'd really appreciate if you would stop messing with me. Are you kidding me? You know, I, I, to, be, uh, to be right with God, I have to be born again. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he's going to be a little bit more helpful to him. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. You know, dogs have dogs, cats have cats, people have people. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. In other words, um, there's going to be a birth into the kingdom of God, and, the, and, for, and God is a spirit, and so there's going to be a spiritual birth. Now, this just blew away his paradigm, and maybe it's blowing you, because, because Nicodemus thought of God like Santa Claus, like he's in heaven, he's checking his list twice, and he's, he's looking down to see if we're naughty or nice, and so he's, he's wondering, oh, you know, that was a bad one, that one's going to cost you. Oh, this is pretty good. Oh, this, this is really, you know, you might get extra credit for that. And we're just kind of hoping at the end that the, that the good ledger outweighs the bad ledger. And Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not what it is at all. Just as you were physically born into a family, and there's nothing that you did uh, to be born into this family, and there's nothing that you can do to, to be unborn in this family, uh, the way to be in the kingdom of God is that you're born into this. It's nothing that you're going to deserve and it's nothing that you can lose because it has nothing to do with your behavior. And Jesus says, don't marvel that I said, to you, said this to you. You must be born again. And Nicodemus is just, he's just, his mind is just exploding. He's like, how can these things be? You know, like, you know, I, I should have, you know, should I have gotten this? Why is he, I, I don't understand. And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Come on, you're supposed to know this stuff. Didn't you read, you know, you know the Old Testament, you know the writings of the people of old. If I have told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if, if I tell you heavenly things? And he says, no one has ascended into heaven. And Nicodemus is like, that's it. Exactly, that's my point. No one is, what would be really great if someone who did go to heaven, if someone, if the, whoever comes to heaven, if they could just come down here and, and tell us how it is so we don't have to guess because sometimes we feel close to God and sometimes we don't feel close to God and sometimes we feel, con, uh, you know, forgiven by God and sometimes I feel condemned by God. But if someone could just come down from heaven and just kind of tell it like it is and we were kind of hoping that you would be this person and Jesus was like, hey, look, I didn't finish what I was going to say here. He says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. Now, Nicodemus gets really nervous because this is no longer Jesus just kind of uh, giving some thoughts. It puts Jesus in this very unique category because he's just not telling us information on how we can connect to God. He's simply he's saying, I am God. And, and he knows that, hey, wait a minute now. Now all of a sudden, Jesus is making me choose. He's making me either, he's either making me, you know, he's not letting me just say, oh, Jesus had some nice things to say. He's either saying, hey, you can trust me because I am God. Or he's some raving lunatic. But before Nicodemus could think about this any further, he, Jesus adds to this. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent 
in the wilderness. And Nicodemus like, okay, I get this. He would have understood Moses. He would have understood all of that. And if you don't understand, if you don't know what I'm talking about, when Moses lifted the serpent up in the wilderness, there was this time, the people of Israel, they were on their way to the promised land. And they set up camp, about a million people or so. They set up camp, and they got their tents out. They got their sleeping bags out. They got their, car, their, their guitars around the campfire, and then they go to bed. And as they went to bed, these snakes came out under the ground. These venomous snakes came, and they started biting all the people. And people began to get sick, and, and people were getting ready to die. And so Moses goes to God and says, God, you know, what do we do here? And, uh, you know, everyone's going to die. We're too many people just to get up and go. What do we do? And he's like, okay, here's what you do. You take a, a bronze serpent. And you put it up, you lift it up onto a pole. And if you just tell the people, if they look to the bronze serpent, they won't die. And so, so Nicodemus gets this. And so Jesus says, as Moses was lifted up, uh, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Nicodemus gets the answer to his question, but it wasn't the question or wasn't the answer he was hoping for. He was totally rocked because he thought his whole world was like, you know, I, you know being a part of, uh, you know, going to heaven and being a part of what God's a part of means I have to be a really good person. And Jesus just totally shatters that. And so Nicodemus goes back to his group of people and is like, look, guys, I've got a lot to explain. I don't know how I'm going to be do this. So he takes this, this report back and they, they, they continue to watch, they continue to have questions, they continue to wonder, they continue to go to their Pharisee meetings on the outside, being like, yeah, yeah, we hate Jesus, but on the inside, they still wondered. And it, but as time went on in the Gospels, as you read this, Jesus became more and more popular, until a point where the Pharisees like, okay, this is enough, we need to arrest this guy, we need to put him under lock and key. And so they said to their temple guard, they had a temple guard, which is just a little micro army. Rome ruled uh, Israel, they, he ruled Jerusalem, but Rome let him have like a, just a little bitty army. It's called the temple guard. And so they told the temple guard, hey, go arrest Jesus. They sent him out before lunch, and they go out and you know, you know, lunch passes, they eat some lunch, they're still not back, they're still not back, they're still not back. Finally, the temple guard comes back, but when they come back, they don't have Jesus. And let me show you, I'll pick up the story here, and we'll read more about Nicodemus as well. It says, the officers, the officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, why did you not bring him? Hey, we had lunch, we played some cards, we've been waiting, what happened? Where, where's he at? And the officers answered, no one spoke, no one has spoke like this man. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on a second. You listen to his sermon? You listen to his sermon? The officer's like, you know, there was a crowd. You know, we didn't want to interrupt. And besides, he was beginning to make a, you know, he's beginning to make a lot of sense. And the Pharisees answered, have you also been deceived? And then they ask a question that made Nicodemus and Joseph very uncomfortable. Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Now they're being condescending. They're saying, look, we're the smart guys. We know how this works. You know, you guys, I mean, you guys are just some blue-collar rent-a-cop. You know, you're, you're just like, you, what do you know? We're the ones who know. You think the crowd knows? You think you know better than we do? And they just are totally, totally condescending. How could you be so, sm- you know, small-minded? And maybe, you, maybe you're in a, I don't know, where. I don't know everyone here. Maybe you're in a context where your community, your primary community, is like these Pharisees. We're, we're the smart ones. We, we know you can't. I mean, Jesus, come on. You can't believe that. 
Or maybe you are that person. Maybe you're like that. Maybe you just are condescending toward those who might have. And so Nicodemus, man, they're, they're looking at each other like, man, should we say anything? They just asked, hey, is anybody here? Anybody, any, any one of the rulers, anybody here believe in Jesus? And they're kind of like, uh-oh, what do we say? Well, Nicodemus says this. He says, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing or learning what he does? He looks, I'm not saying I believe in him or anything, but I'm just, you know, I'm just asking a question. Just kind of wonder, just kind of putting it out there. Should we, should we be so quick to judge? Should we not hear him first? And they replied in their condescending way, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Now, this is just proof that these guys didn't do their homework. So they criticized Jesus. They were condescending to, to Jesus from a distance. They thought he was in Galilee. He, did, he was raised in Galilee, but he was born in Bethlehem, which is where the Messiah was prophesied. You know, there's a song and everything about it. You know, he was born in a little town called Bethlehem. And, but they never did their homework. And maybe you're like that. Maybe you're just... Maybe, maybe you're even as I'm talking, you're just, there's some anger in you. Like, just you have these paradigms of how, who Jesus is, but, you're, but your thoughts about Jesus are from a distance. And you could be like the Pharisees here. You're just critiquing Jesus from a distance. Or maybe you're like Nicodemus in Joseph. You have this little kind of thing inside of you that thinks maybe, just maybe, he is who he says he is. But you've, you've got your community among critics, and you're kind of wondering, and you're, you're kind of in the shadows. Well, anyway, things just kind of go away, but, um, you know, the Pharisees, they just got angrier and angrier and madder and madder. And they, and they, they said, okay, the enough is that we're going to go after this guy. But every time they go, went after Jesus, they were kind of like, you know, Charlie Brown trying to kick a football. They just swung and missed. They just ended up on their backside. So after this, they, they tried to catch Jesus. They, they, they were trying to entrap this, this woman who was uh, caught, in, caught in the act of adultery. But they weren't trying to trap the woman. They were trying to trap Jesus. They were thinking, okay, look, we're, we can either show him. He either has to be merciful to this woman and break the law, or he follows the law, and then he, we just prove that he's a phony. And all the stuff he's been saying about mercy and goodness is all a sham. Well, Jesus, you know, checkmate. He, he goes, he's merciful, and he, but he doesn't break the law. And so one by one, it says the Pharisees just walk away. They drop their stones. And then after that, and, and when you move into John chapter 11, as you kind of go through the gospel narrative, you see that Jesus heals this man uh, born blind, this man named Bartimaeus, and, and it just egg in the face of the Pharisees, and they just get it. But the, but the tipping point, the real kind of deal where they got super serious is when Jesus uh, raises from the dead this man called Lazarus. Lazarus was very important to Jesus. He loved Jesus. In fact, the crowd commented on him, and he got very, very sick. And instead of Jesus going to the person and healing the person like he did so many other times, he let Lazarus die. And a few days later, uh, he goes to the tomb, and he's just with emotion, and everyone sees just how much he loved this man, Lazarus. And he, and he, tells, to, he tells people, hey, move the stone. And they totally objected because of, of the smell. And I love how the King James Version says it, he stinketh. And so he, and, but they move the stone away anyway, and he calls Lazarus forth, and he rises from the dead. And the crowds just go crazy with excitement and enthusiasm. And they just, they just, they just put all this praise on Jesus. In fact, 
you know, he goes into, when he goes into Jerusalem, they throw him a parade. You know, Palm Sunday, that whole thing. They throw him this big parade. And they are like, then, then the Pharisees are like, enough is enough. And they just, they, they joined, the Pharisees joined all the, 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 the leaders together. And Nicodemus and Joseph would have been a part of this. And the leader of the Pharisees, this ends now. This ends now. We are going to go on a full court press. And so they, they hired some phony witnesses uh, to lie about Jesus. They hired Judas to portray Jesus. And they go to the temple guard and say, okay, we're going to give you one more chance. We're going to send you to a garden at midnight. And we're going to let Judas over here kiss the guy so you don't make, you think you can do this this time. So they come up with this plan. And Nicodemus and Joseph, they say nothing. These guards, they go get Jesus. They bring him back to the high priest's house, Caiaphas. And they have this bogus trial at midnight, totally illegal. uh, Wasn't supposed to happen. They condemn this man. And Joseph and Nicodemus say nothing. And then they bring him before Pilate. And they're like, we want to kill this man. Man, we want this man crucified. But Pilate goes and questions him. He takes him into um, his house and he begins to question him. He comes out and he says, I find nothing. I find nothing about this man that is guilty of death. Now, Pilate had no problem killing people. But he says, I find nothing wrong with this man has done. But the Pharisees demanded that he be crucified. And Nicodemus and Joseph said nothing. And then Pilate says, okay, here's what I'll do. Because his conscience was getting to him. He's like, I'm not going to kill an innocent man. So here's what I'll do. I will beat this man into an inch of his life. And then when they see how severely I've beat him, they're going to leave him alone. And more importantly, they're going to leave me alone. So he instructs his soldiers to have Jesus severely flogged and scourged. The Jews would whip a criminal 39 times. The Romans showed no such mercy. And we, some of us, may have seen what this might have been like in the movie The Passion, and he gets the worst beating. In fact, many men died. Most men died during a beating like that. And Jesus stumbles before Pilate and before the crowd. And Pilate says, is this enough? Is this enough? And then the the Pharisees say, crucify him. Crucify him. And then they get the crowd worked in and crucify him, crucify him. And now there's all this momentum and Pilate has no choice. And he says, so it'll be. And he turns Jesus over to be crucified. And he washes his hands. Of everything. And Nicodemus and Joseph see this bloody mess and they're wondering if they should say anything. But they just, st- they just stood back in the crowd looking over the heads of people. So as they see Jesus and they see him carrying a horizontal beam, they see him carrying it up a hill, up a hill called Golgotha. And, and, and I can imagine Joseph and and Nicodemus standing in the back of the crowd, standing on the edge of the crowd, and all they can see is heads and then these three poles. And then they hear the sound of nails through flesh and bone. And they hear the cries of agony from Jesus and the two criminals crucified to his left and to his right. 
And then Nicodemus, over the heads of the people, he begins to see Jesus lifted up onto this vertical pole. And as he sees Jesus lifted up on this vertical pole, it dawns on him. This is what Jesus was talking about. This is what he's talking about when I went that night and he said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent so that anyone who would look upon the serpent would not die, so must the Son of Man be lifted up and whoever would believe in him would not perish. And I could just imagine Nicodemus and Joe looking at each other in just awe, thinking like, Man, everything Jesus said, everything he told us is working. He predicted this thing would happen. So that whoever believes, not everyone who behaves, not everyone who gets it right every time, but whoever believes would have eternal life in him. And that's when they decided that we cannot hide this any longer. We cannot stay private any longer. We've got to go public with what we believe. We've got to go public. And maybe you're here today and you're kind of in the same situation. You're like, maybe today you, you, you've been I'm in that crowd and you're wondering, should I go public? I'm going to, I'll lead you to something here in a minute. But let me tell you what they decided to do. They said we can't be secret followers anymore. And they did the unthinkable. They did the unthinkable. They went directly to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. You just didn't do that. You didn't go to the, you didn't go to the person who ordered uh, a criminal's execution for the body. Now, some people, if you had enough money, they would go find a Roman soldier who was wheeling the body to the Valley of Gehenna. They may pay him off with a few bucks and say, I'll take that body. They do it privately, but they, they, they're like, we don't care who knows us anymore. We don't care. We, we, we've seen enough, and this man is the son of man, and he died for me. And so they go to Pilate at great risk. They didn't care if the Pharisees found out. They didn't care who found out. We want this body. And the Pharisees did find out. And let me tell you what they did. If we, this is the, the text that we read. It's going to be on the screen again. It says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took the body away. Nicodemus also who had earlier come by night. Their faith was once private, had now gone public. And it went public in a big way. They pledged their allegiance to Jesus. And then let me just finish out what they did. They, they came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen clothes and spices and as in the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in that garden, a new tomb, which is, this was going to be Joseph's tomb, in which had no one had been laid. So here's what happened. They, they, if, this, if Jesus was not dead yet, I mean, he was, whipped, he was beaten and most men died from that. He was crucified, and every man died from that. And if that wasn't enough, the, the soldiers poked him in the side, and water flowed, proving he was dead. But being bound by actually more like 100 pounds when you add in the linen, 100 pounds of linen, their care for the body proved, what was one of the things that proved 
beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus actually died. And, and they buried him thinking there was no more hope. They buried him thinking he was the son of God. He did die in my place, but now he's dead. He wasn't expecting anything, but Jesus was not done surprising people. Nobody expected, this may help you if you're crazy. No one expected that Jesus would rise from the dead. Mary and Martha, when they went to go see the tomb, they yelled out, Who has taken the body of my Lord? No one was standing outside the tomb going, Ten, nine, eight. They, no one was waiting for this to happen. The disciples were totally confused. They were afraid. But he did rise. And then he appeared to Mary and Martha. And then he appeared to the eleven. And then he appeared to more than 500 witnesses. And all of this took place. And the, the scriptures that were read about this all happened within about a 30-year period of their happenings. You know, some people say, well, how can you, you, know, how can you trust something? Because we live, in a, we live in an information age where if you go to the bathroom, you tweet about it. And so, like, every, every little thing that you do gets written down. This was an oral culture, which they just didn't write things down. So I, you have to kind of get inside the mind there. This only happened 30 years after. It was written 30 years after it happened. And, and I think you would remember an event like that. I mean, you remember stuff like that. You remember, I mean, who wrote, who wrote the song Beat It? Are you sure? That was like 30 years ago. And if I started singing, bye, bye, Miss American Pie. That's enough. That's enough. I was, I don't know, like 50 years ago. And I bet you, you could probably write out every single word of that song. Decades ago. Look, I remember days, I remember days in my life. I, I remember a day like 9-11. I'm sure you do too. I remember everything about that day. And I, and I doubt I'll ever forget. And I think of someone like the resurrection. It's not like, you know, you're sitting around, you're like, hey, you remember when Jesus rose from the dead? You know, it's not coming to mind. I don't. I, rem- I remember. Oh, yeah, you're right. I, totally, I almost forgot about that. So he did rise from the dead. And it's not just because the Bible tells us so. It's because there were witnesses in the context. And then. But this is the real cool part. 1 Corinthians 6.14 says, And God raised the Lord, and he will also raise us up by his power. If, if you believe in him. So, I want to close with this question. Are you ready to go public with your faith? You've, maybe, you've been com- maybe you've been coming to Jubilee, or maybe... This is just your, you know, annual or twice a year routine going to church. And you kind of wondered. You haven't totally written off the church. You haven't totally written off Jesus. But you've not really, you've not really stepped forward in this. But just like Nicodemus, when, you, when you, he saw the Son of Man be lifted. Maybe there's something about today where you've seen something in a new light.